Our first scripture this morning is from Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And our second scripture is from Mark, chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. Jesus tells the parable of the growing seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. This is the word of God. Thank you, Lorinda. Well, this week I found myself in Planet Fitness in St. Albans, um, signing up for a gym membership, which I usually do in the winter when it's too cold to run or bike outside. Um, and I often, when I go to the gym, I just um, spend some time on the treadmill. The whole purpose of a treadmill is to expend a lot of energy without going anywhere, right? And sometimes the spiritual life, the Christian life, can feel like that. Maybe you're busy with a lot of Christian activities, but you find you're not really changing. You're not going anywhere in your walk with the Lord. Maybe the treadmill looks like this strong sense of guilt you have to keep you running and doing things and trying to please God, but it doesn't work. You're not going anywhere. Uh, maybe, especially this time of year, you, you resolve to grow, grow closer to God, to spend more time in prayer and reading the Bible and doing Christian stuff, and you expend a lot of energy doing that, but you wind up just feeling exhausted, and you're still not changed. I've been in those times myself, and then if you're like me, you become so discouraged with this cycle of trying harder and failing that you just kind of turn the, the dial down as slow as the treadmill can go so you can just kind of get by. If any of that relates to you, if you relate to any of that, I have good news for you today. You can get off the treadmill. Um, life with Jesus is not like that. He did not save you to put you on a treadmill of trying harder and failing, and trying harder, and failing. He saved you to walk with him through life, to be filled with his peace, and his power, 
uh, giving you his strength and, and changing you from the inside out. Amen? Well, we're going to spend the next seven weeks talking about what that looks like, talking about how to change spiritually. And this sermon series is called Off the Treadmill and Onto the Trail, Seven Axioms for Actual Change. Now, the title doesn't matter that much, but what is an axiom? An axiom is like a clear, uh, simple truth, or, or a truth expressed in a clear, simple, memorable way. And you'll find, I think, that all of these seven axioms over the next seven weeks, um, they're not new or innovative ideas. They're old truths deeply rooted in Scripture. They're not complex theories. They're very simple, graspable ideas. Um, and they're not abstract. They're not things that are just for us to think about. They're practical truths that we can walk out in our lives every day. Um, I didn't come up with these seven axioms. I'm part of a leadership growth cohort, and we are doing this same thing right now. So I thought, why waste it? It's, a, it's changing me. It's affecting me so much. I wanted to share it with you all. Um, so before we launch into this first axiom, I'd like to stop and pray and ask for God's help. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, um, we ask that your spirit would be our guide and teacher, that the things we learn over the next seven weeks um, would be pleasing to you. Help us to grab onto these truths and to see real change in our lives. Help us, Lord, to see and understand these things in your word. Holy Spirit, you are the one that can make any of this happen. So do your work in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies, filling us with new life. Amen. So here's axiom number one. God is always present and at work. I know that is not a news, news flash for most of you. you. You would check off on that. You would sign off on that. But do we actually live like that is true? In my experience, we don't. We don't live like God is always present and always at work. We pray prayers like, Lord, show up in this situation. Or, Lord, be with this person. We, we long for the, the mountaintop experiences of the Christian life so we can feel like something's happening or God is doing something. We long for... You know, maybe powerful times of worship when you sense his presence. You, you expect that when you come to church or open your Bible or pray, you're going to feel closer to God, and if that doesn't happen, you feel disappointed and deflated. That's because we don't actually believe God is always present and always at work. The truth is, God is always present and at work. He's there when the worship music is cranked up and your heart swells. He's also there when you are anxious and restless and bored at home. He is there um, when you're on your knees in prayer and when you're on your feet in the grocery store. He's present and at work. He is on the mountaintop experiences, but he's also in the valleys and on the roads of everyday life. And 
this, this can be a, a, a deeply affecting truth for us. Before I go any farther, I want to open up God's Word and show you what the Bible says about this. And we'll talk about how this truth can change our lives. So Psalm 139, I'd encourage you to open to this. Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible. <clears throat> this is a poem that David wrote. Um, and the whole subject is, is this truth. Uh, David is, is marinating in the truth that God knows him through and through and is with him wherever he goes and however he feels. So I'd like to read verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, In other words, if I go as far as I can possibly imagine from where I am right now, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Let's pause there. I think this is pretty clear. He's saying there is no place, high or low, near or far, where God is not already present. There's no place you can go where God will not, the the long arm of his love will not Grab hold of you, right? But then David asks another question. Are there any situations in which God might not be present? Uh, Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. David is saying there's no dark place of pain or despair or fear that God cannot illuminate or God is not present. Now, if you know your Bibles, you may be thinking, well, what about all of the times in Scripture when God does seem to show up more clearly like in a burning bush speaking to Moses or thundering from the top of Mount Sinai or... um, when God's glory fills the tabernacle in a thick cloud and it's just obvious that God is present. What about those times? Or what about the times in your life when you have had a profound spiritual experience and God has touched you or revealed himself to you in a, in a clear way? I believe what's happening in those times is not that God is more present, but that he is opening your eyes to his presence. He's always always been there just like a sun, the sun being behind the clouds, and sometimes the clouds part and you see the sun in all its glory. But he's always been there. He's always present and at work. Let me take you to the New Testament, John chapter 5. Fourth book of the New Testament. And in this chapter, John narrates um, how Jesus was walking by a pool near the temple in Jerusalem, and he sees this guy who's been crippled for 38 years. So he 
begins talking to this man and then he, he heals this man and restores his, his legs, his, his walking ability. And then in order for him to kind of test out his legs, Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. You know the story. The problem is the religious leaders nearby are mad because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, which was the day this happened. So Jesus violated their Sabbath laws by healing this guy, and this guy violated the Sabbath laws by picking up his mat and walking. So they're all ticked off that the law has been broken, that, that God or someone has worked outside of their expectations of when work should happen. And here's what Jesus says in, re- in reply. In verse 17, John 5, 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. God is always at work. My Father is always at work, and I too am working. He's, he's like... I don't care what your human regulations and expectations say when I should work. My father is always at work, and I too am working. Now, we don't have like Sabbath regulations, but some of us have expectations of when God should be more active and when he won't be. Um, Thankfully, God doesn't follow our schedule. (laughs) He is always at work. And when we say God is at work, what do we mean by that? Well, in this, in this story, in John, Jesus healed a man who had been crippled for 38 years. Healing work. If you flip through the pages of Scripture, you see God doing a lot of other work. Creating, um, restoring, saving, convicting of sin, bringing repentance, sanctifying, judging evil, revealing Jesus to the world, um, comforting, providing, all of these things that God does. He is always doing those things. One more scripture to reinforce this. This is the passage that was read, Mark chapter 4. I love this parable Jesus tells called the parable of the growing seed. Mark chapter 4, starting verse 26. If you can't find it quickly, that's okay. Just listen. Jesus said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in the world. This is what it's like. A man scatters his seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. What is Jesus trying to teach here? There's this farmer who scatters seed and In this parable, I know there's more to farming than just throwing seed on the ground, but in this parable, the only thing the guy does is scatter the seed. And then it does its work by itself. Whether he is 
awake or asleep, whether he understands how it works or not, whether he tries to watch it grow or not. It's just doing its work, which is the same way God works. God's kingdom grows. Uh, We participate by spreading the word, by planting the seed, but God does the work. He is always working, whether we understand it, whether we're awake for it, whether we um, see it or not. He's always working. So God is always present and always at work. And that means that he is present and working no matter where you are, at school, at home, at your job, in the car. God is doing something. He is present and at work no matter what you are doing. Making a meal, folding laundry, filling out reports, talking to your family. He is at present and at work no matter how you're feeling. If you're happy or sad or confused or anxious or lonely or scared or bored, whether it's your worst day or your best day, God is always present and at work. C.S. Lewis once wrote, We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. God is always present and at work. So let me bring that truth to bear in some practical ways. Let me close by sharing two specific ways that this knowledge, that this truth can free you from the treadmill try harder spirituality. First, if God is present and at work always, which I believe he is, that means that every single part of your life is where God wants to meet you and to change you. We, again, we tend to think that it happens in church on Sunday or at the special conference on the weekend or on the mountaintop experiences of the Christian life. Those things can be helpful, but the mountaintop experiences are not the the norm. Those are, by definition, exceptions. And God is there for you in in the valleys and on the roads of your everyday mundane life. That's, in fact, the only place, practically speaking, where change can happen. That is your life. And so those are the places where God is and wants to meet you. That's where he wants to train you to love like Jesus. That's where he wants to to show you his love for you. That's where he wants to grow your faith, where you learn to trust and obey and follow him. I want you to think about the the time or the, the areas of your life where it's hardest for you to believe that God is present and at work. Think about that. It could be Maybe a certain frame of mind like loneliness or boredom or apathy. You think, well, uh, I'm just kind of on hold because I'm, I'm having a bad day and I'm, I'm not in the right, right frame of mind for, you know, for God to do anything with me. Maybe it's doing a certain task like chores around the house or shopping or 
going to a doctor's appointment, you know. Uh, maybe it's a time of great suffering. Um, whatever it is, the hardest place for you to imagine God is present and at work, that's the place where you need to remember it most. So this week, if you're in that place, remember God is here. God is with me in this. And what does he want to do right now? What is he doing? Ask God to show you how he is present in the Holy Spirit. And flowing out of that, here's the second thing I would tell you. Since God is always present and at work, our job is never to try to get God to do something for us or for someone else, but rather to notice and join what God is already doing. Do you see the difference there? Our, God is not to, our job is not to make God do something, but to notice what he's already doing and join him. I remember as a, a college student and a relatively young Christian feeling like, um, I felt this pressure like if I read my Bible enough or if I prayed fervently enough or if I had the right experience in worship, then God would finally show up or then God would finally break through. And if I sinned and failed, then I would just like, maybe if I beat myself up enough and feel guilty enough, God will forgive me. But I, I just want to tell my 18-year-old self and you today that we can be free of that. That's not the way God works. That is not the way God works. Um, in fact, trying to get God to do something is actually a, a very pagan way to live. Do you remember in uh, 1 Kings 18 when the prophets of Baal are shouting up to the sky to get their God's attention and cutting themselves and dancing around and Baal is not doing anything? Or when Jesus says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the pagans do for they think they will be heard because of their many words. We don't have to twist God's arm or bend his ear or get his attention or call him down from heaven to, to, to do something for us. He is always present and at work. Every moment, every day, every situation. And since we serve a God who is present and at work, our job changes. Again, we are freed from trying to make him do something and we get to simply say, God, what are you doing? How can I join you? As Roy shared about his, the way the trip to Kentucky has unfolded, it occurred to me like that's a perfect example of Roy noticing what God was up to and joining into that and then seeing just provision and, and God's work and everything coming together. What a privilege to be part of God's work. And maybe, no, not maybe, certainly the work God is going to do on that trip is not just rebuilding a house for this family, but he's going to do work between you as a team. He's going to do work in our church as we send them. He's going to do work in the relationships you form there. God is always present and at work. So our job is to be noticers, to not to try harder, but to notice more, to notice more. If we notice we are in sin, 
we repent. If we notice there are people around us who need to hear the gospel, that's called evangelism. If we notice there are hurting people who need to be served, that's called compassion and service. Um, if we notice God's beauty and respond, it's called worship. This is, this is what, what our job is, to notice and respond. Um, vacation Bible school, I know for the past several years, um, each day they've encouraged the kids to share a God sighting, right? Which is, which is a time or a situation which they, they noticed God somehow, maybe in a, in a friend or in the beauty of creation. And I want you to practice God sightings this week. But don't just look for him in the obvious things, like in the happy family moments or in the beautiful sunsets or in uh, the powerful spiritual experiences. Look for him when you would least expect him. Look for him when you're suffering. Look for him when you're discouraged. Look for him when you're slogging through a morning of work. And pause and say, God, what are you up to right now? What are you doing? Show yourself and help me to notice you. I'll close with this, that the gospel, the good news, that the reason all of us are here in this room, the, the good news is about the work that God has already done for you through Jesus. There's nothing you have done or can do to make God love you or to convince him to save you or forgive you. But God, in his abundant, over-the-top, free love, worked for your salvation even when you were far from him. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. You know the verse that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Christian life starts by understanding that, noticing that, and turning to Jesus to be saved. But it continues by noticing what God is doing by his spirit to love you, to change you, to work in you, and work in the world around you. So friends, I, I challenge you, I exhort you, I, I ask you to notice this week where God is at work and to join him in that work. Let's pray. Father, you are always at work. As Jesus said, uh, you are always at work, and he is also working. So give us eyes to see this week um, how that is true in our world, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities in our families, in our inside our souls. Help us to see your work and to join in. We need your help with this. We need to unlearn um, expectations of the way we confine you to working in certain times and places and ways. And we pray that you would open us, make us open to how you are really at work around us. And for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom, may we see and join in. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.